a Merry Christmas and Happy Feast Day as we celebrate the patronal feast of our parish. Uh, in her wisdom, almost 50 years ago, Holy Mother Church created this parish under the patronage of Mary and Joseph and the Christ child. And so it's a special grace for us as a parish family to join on this day as we celebrate the sacrifice of the Holy Mass, as we beg the Holy Family for their intercession. As we heard in the opening prayer, we do so so that we have the grace to imitate them in their virtues so that one day we will be with them in heaven forever. And that's the goal of our life. And what a proper and fitting way to continue this Christmas celebration. For normally the Sunday after Christmas, we celebrate this great feast of the Holy Family. And as we gathered last weekend to, to honor, to celebrate the Son of God taking on flesh and being born within a family, and so today we honor and celebrate that family, that family of God which is who God is. When we maybe want to define God or we think about God, St. John, in one of his letters, tells us that God is love. Love requires one who loves and one who is loved, and there's love in between. When we celebrate the Most Holy Trinity, that dynamic relationship is what we celebrate. And Mother Church would teach us that God in himself is a relationship. He's a communion of persons. Simply, God is family. So it makes sense that when the Son of God took on flesh, he would do so within, within the context of a family. And in our own world, our contemporary culture, and in our individual families as well, where there's so much disorder, chaos, and confusion about the nature and the purpose of married life. What is God's plan? Who is, what does God say marriage and family life is supposed to be? We are swimming in the lies of the world that for decades now, has been attempting to, to distort God's plan for love, for marriage, for family life. And sadly, even in our own day today, there are voices from within the church seeking to sow seeds of chaos and confusion. And so we need this feast. And in particular, the, the, the passages of the scripture that Mother Church gives us today to help us understand what marriage is, what God's plan for our lives is. And so I would encourage you later on this afternoon in the days to come, go back and, and read the readings, especially the first reading and the second reading to help us understand what God has said about marriage and family life. Because as Catholics, as the Second Vatican Council teaches us, we believe what the scriptures tell us. Uh, written by human author, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God. So they're not just some oldie way of life way back there. 
Uh, we don't read the scriptures, you know, color through a cultural lens and try to adapt it to our time and place. Like God spoke definitively and clearly in the sacred scriptures. And our job as disciples is to let that word of God dwell within us richly, as St. Paul says. And so we all know the lies in the world about marriage and family life. All the distortions, all the various ways in which the enemy of our souls, the evil one, is seeking to disrupt God's plan for our lives. And it impacts all of us, whether we're single and not married, or we don't have kids, or our our children are out of the house, or the various relationships that we all know. It's necessary for us to know what God's plan for marriage and family life is. Because the holy family is our model. And through the waters of baptism, we have been incorporated into God's family. So it's not just a picturesque prayer card we have tucked away in our Bibles. It's not just a perfectly created manger scene we have in our living rooms. But it's the reality of who you are and what you're called to be, a member of the Holy Family. And so we need these reminders. And you know, we, we speak of the truth of marriage and family life, and we renounce the lies, but we don't condemn. We speak the truth with love. Again, if we surveyed each one of us in here, I'm sure all of us could raise our hand to say, has the dysfunction of married life and all of its various defunctionalities, who has not been touched by it? Right? We all have. Someone in our family, maybe we ourselves, have been affected because of a bad choice that I have made or I'm living in the consequence of someone else's bad choice. But this dysfunction has touched us all, which is why it's even more important and more necessary that we turn to the sacred scriptures and the catechism of the Catholic Church to have firmly planted in our minds and in our hearts God's plan for marriage. One man, one woman who come together in freedom for life until death do we part. And they come together for life, meaning they are open to the natural means of procreation. And anything other than that is not marriage and cannot be supported or endorsed by us. And so we need to have the confidence that God is love and that he's sent us the Son and established the church so that we could be firmly rooted in the truth so that we could live our life according to his plan. You know, in America, we're founded on a, a, rat, a rugged individualism, right? Our, our forefathers didn't like what was going on at home, so we packed up our staff and we moved out, and we started our own country. We're going to do our own way, our own thing. And many of us allow that to form our spiritual life as well. I do what I want to do. What feels good to me, what makes sense to me, what makes my life easy and comfortable, then that's my religion. And I take from here and there and I kind of craft my own. 
but as faithful sons and daughters of the one true God. We trust that what God has established is what is good and necessary and true and beautiful. And so we take this day to gaze upon that scene in Nazareth. And so little is taught to us in the scriptures about the early life of Jesus. There are only a few episodes, and most of them aren't hallmark-worthy. There's fear, there's anxiety, there's threat of murder, there's displacement, there's a lost child, there's the anxiety of a mother. All those things are part of the early life of Jesus. And so we gaze upon the manger scene. We gaze upon the early life of Nazareth. And we ask Mary and Joseph and the Christ child to teach us What am I supposed to learn from this? And how do I love in the midst of this? So maybe the particulars of your family life are different from theirs. But have you faced anxiety, depression, stress, unanswered questions? Have you faced any of the the, the dangers of life? Mary and Joseph can help you. And so we spend time, the Mother Church invites us to to meditate on the early life of Jesus. And in that, what we would call the silence of Nazareth. For in those first 30 years, we only have a few moments of, of indication of his life. So just that fact, the silence, that we need that silence in our lives to contemplate what is good, true, and beautiful. That we need to step away from the loud noise of the world that seeks to distort our idea of love and marriage and personal identity and mission in the church. You know, so many of us live lives of such rapid change and immediate gratification. And we live lives for the external effects We want people to notice us. We want to be liked. We want to be followed. We want to influence other people. The early life of Jesus teaches us the opposite. It's the quiet, the hiddenness that allows the seeds of faith, hope, and love to flourish within ourselves and our families so that we can follow them to heaven. As we study that early life of the Holy Family, We look at Joseph, the silent one. Not one word of his is recorded in sacred scripture, but we do know that he was a man of work. We call him a carpenter, and that's one good interpretation of the word, but an also adequate one would be one who works with his hands. He was a craftsman. And so we learn the value and the necessity of hard work, especially for the men in our community. What the the good that comes from a man who works hard. What it does to his mind and to his heart and to his hands. How it teaches him how to love selflessly. I saw a stat recently that said in our country, there are over 7 million able-bodied men who have stopped looking for work. They just have resigned themselves to be a bum. Can we imagine the damage that it's doing to the fabric of our society? The destruction of our families, 
when these men are choosing to violate God's given gift to them of the ability to work. And so we pray to to recapture the beautiful gift of hard work, especially for the men in our community and for our parents, especially our dads. Train your sons to work. It's necessary for their salvation. We can say it that way. And they need to learn the limits of their body and how to give of themselves past the point of exhaustion. This is how a man learns to sacrifice for his family. We need the beautiful gift of work. And then the virtues that St. Paul so beautifully described in that second reading. Again, as you go back to review the scriptures today, maybe you can ask yourself and maybe discuss as a family, where are we lacking in this list of virtues? Who is excelling at one? You know, we want to highlight the wins in our life. If there's someone in your family who's good at one of those, you know, celebrate that. But two of those virtues that I think we all could use help in growing is forgiveness and love. You know, we'll be judged at the end of our life on how well we have loved. That will be our, our ticket to heaven or our locked door out. But many of us can't love as Christ wants us to because we've holden on with a hardened heart to past hurts, to wounds, to an unforgiveness. Whether it happened this morning as you were getting ready, whether last weekend at Christmas or 50 years ago, many of us feel entitled to cling to the pain from the past. And when we do that, we cannot love as Christ has called us to. When we look at the the crucifix, we know those last words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we ask for that grace to have the courage and the strength to forgive. This doesn't mean that what someone did was right or justified, but it means I'm no longer going to hold myself in prison because what someone else has done to me so that I can love. And to love is to will the good of the other. That's the most basic definition. I I want what's best for you. And we know that while we're walking on this earth, the best thing for anyone is to live in a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ as his disciple in his one holy church. That's the best thing for anybody. So that they can be in heaven forever. And this is why we need to know the truth of marriage and love and family life. Because it is a sin to confirm somebody in their sin. It's not love to let someone think it's okay to live in a disordered relationship or an irregular union. We have all these fancy words to describe these things. But it's not love. It's not merciful. It's not true. Yes, we live with compassion and mercy because we want everyone to go to heaven and we don't want to confirm anyone in a wrong choice. And again, some of us are, quote unquote, stuck in situations that are beyond our choice. We pray for grace, for healing, and for peace. But we want to turn again to the scriptures 
and with joy celebrate the gift of the Holy Family. As challenging as the teaching can be, it's the only way to happiness, it's the only way to holiness. And so we pray for the grace to become a holy family, individually, as a parish, and as the worldwide universal church. But as St. Paul says, as we practice these virtues, as we learn to forgive above all things, we will learn to live in love.